This episode of the Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com. You know you want to. Samantha Wills creative, jewellery designer, entrepreneur and now first-time author's book of gold and dust is an absolute page-turner. There is so much about Samantha's journey that will resonate so well and so loud as she navigates her way around many things, including imposter syndrome, to dealing with endometriosis and all that brings. You'll really enjoy listening to this amazing, energetic powerhouse of a woman who's so charming, so open and giving about all her experiences. She chats with the equally warm and enigmatic Yana Firestone in this episode of The Curious Life Podcast. Well, Samantha Wills, thank you so much for joining me today on The Curious Life. It's a treat to be here. Thank you. As I was saying to you just before, I literally have not been able to put this down. I have like marked so many pages and it just really, it just speaks to me in so many ways. And I just know that there must be thousands of other women who are feeling the same way. So congratulations. Thank you so much. It's um, it's been you know as a first time writer that kind of feedback is it just truly reaches my heart. And I'm a really slow reader, and so when people are like I read it in a day, I read it in two days, I'm like, are you guys like really fast at reading, or do I not put enough words in it? But it's it's you know it's such a compliment, and I'm a very fussy reader as well. If something doesn't get me in the first few pages, I'm like, oh, I'll pop that over there to be read later, kind of thing. So. Thank you. Uh, well, you have absolutely nailed that brief because within the first few pages, I was just like, oh my God, this woman is a writer and I am just going to eat this up. And then as I, as I got towards the end of the book, I was trying to slow it down because I just didn't want it to end. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. That truly does mean the world. Oh, well, good. I mean, you should be really proud. But I guess that the first question is, what is it that inspired you to put pen to paper and, and share your story? I've always been a storyteller, I think. It just for me, you know, I had a jewellery business for 15 years. So I think it wasn't jewellery that was my one true love. That was the vehicle of my creativity. So I often referred to myself first and foremost as a storyteller even back then. So through jewellery, then through campaign. Then when I launched the Samantha Wills Foundation in 2016, it was then that I really started to see the power of not only storytelling in for women in business, but vulnerable storytelling. Because I think, especially in that time, and even now we're in such an age of this perceived perfection. You know, we see these rise and grind and hustle and all these like entrepreneurial kind of things on Instagram which is great on a good on a good day but if you're not having a (laughs) you're not having a good day it's like well what does that look like and to me the human element of business is is really important and I think going to the depths of that and when I started writing this book which is called Of Golden Dust the original working title was Public Brand Private Life and what I really want to do was kind of parallel those two things what is kind of missing along the way is that human element. And that's what I wanted to bridge that gap in, in sharing those stories because it's humans doing business, right? And it's, yeah. it's well, what does that take of, of an individual and of, of a group of people? A hundred percent. You're so right because 
for anyone who's aspiring to be anything, you look at the people that have already made it and it does look like everything just comes so easily and it's all just magic and coming together like nothing. And what you've done so brilliantly is take us through the entire journey and the evolution of your life as a creative, as a business person, as an entrepreneur. And it's just, it gives you that no holds barred look at what it really takes to grow as a person and a business person and not just the highlight reels that we're all so accustomed to sharing and looking at. Absolutely. And I just think it's so important, you know, like obviously mental health is a conversation we're having much more these days, which is great. But if we're not talking about the truth of things, like it doesn't mean we're lying if we're just like, here's the highlight reel, here's what we've achieved. But it's like, hey, there's so much more to those stories. And everyone's, everyone has that story. Mine's, mine's not unique in any way. And I often say, you know, even though they're, they're my pages, the stories that I put on those pages, like if anyone sees themselves in that story or in those experiences, they're our stories because that's, and to me, that's the beauty of storytelling is, is seeing ourselves in others and vice versa. And like one of the themes that really stood out to me and you, it's weaved through the whole journey is that feeling of imposter syndrome being that ever present voice. And that's something that I think about and I experience myself all the time and battle with constantly. And it's a theme that I find really interesting because somebody said to me that it's really a uniquely Australian syndrome and that People in other countries don't experience it to the same level that we do. Isn't that interesting? And it's so hard to gauge because you're like, well, is your imposter syndrome bad? Is it as bad as mine? Like it's one of those <laughs> intangibles, right? But yeah. I don't know. I think as Australians, you know, it's in our DNA to play it down. I've lived in New York for 10 years and my, the biggest comparison I would say between culture is as an Australian, you go in, whether you're going for a job interview or whatever you, you're doing, and they're like, so, you know, are you good at this? And you're like, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I can do it. You know, I guess, I, I mean, yeah, even if you're like the best that you know of, I mean, like, well, I guess I can. And they'll be like, all right, well, if you're not sure, why should I be sure? So they're like, we're just going to wait for someone. Then an American would come in and kind of do the same interview. They're like, I am the best for these reasons. And if you don't hire me, you're an idiot kind of thing. And they're like, great, you're hired. So I can see it possibly intertwining that way for sure. But we all think that no one else has imposter syndrome, but absolutely every single person is experiencing a conversation with imposter syndrome, like without a doubt. Absolutely. And how did you overcome that voice in the background? For so long, I did try to overcome it. And, you know, as you say in my book, actually it gets its own character because, you know, it's, it's such a prevalent <laughs> in my life. But yeah, I stopped trying to overcome it because it was exhausting to try and fight it for so long and it wasn't going anywhere. The further I've come along through my career, actually the louder it has gotten. So now I'm kind of in a frame of mind where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to find a way to live alongside you. So it's like, all right, imposter syndrome, like I see you, I hear you. Give me 10 minutes to do this. Give me an hour to sit down with Yana to talk. Imposter syndrome is literally sitting here. like It's my plus one to everything. Sometimes I think what imposter syndrome, the most dangerous thing is that it keeps us in procrastination, right? Because it's like, all right, well, I'm going to stay here and listen to you and get into this vortex. And all imposter syndrome really is, is a really good fictional storyteller. Because if we step back in, in our right mind and are like, well, what's the fact and what's the fiction here? There's no proof to a lot of the things in, this, in that conversation with imposter syndrome. So it's about finding that little break in the clouds. So for me, I'm like, 
give me 10 minutes because once you kind of start something for 10 minutes if you can find that groove you find that imposter syndrome goes quiet for a little bit longer so it's just finding those breaking the clouds to just get into it and try to keep having those those moments of time is is kind of my key at the moment that is brilliant it's so true it's about the procrastination because that's that little voice that keeps saying you don't know what you're on about as if anyone wants to listen to you as if you've got anything to say thousand percent yeah mm. everyone's imposter syndrome is the same it's like they're all it's like they go to an imposter syndrome convention and they're like here's the script you've got this one guys like let's put the word out <laughs> yeah totally totally I'm just so glad that you name it and you talk about it because often we hear all the great things that have happened to somebody in their career and when you read profiles on people again it's all the really fantastic things and you've just kind of like pulled back the curtain and showed everybody what it really is like to be someone working their way through the highs and the lows of a creative or any kind of professional life oh thank you and I think too you know it it is that human element it's the world especially as a as an entrepreneur specifically as a solopreneur like if you're experiencing trauma or grief like the world doesn't stop turning for you to like catch up so I think it's such a you know when you experience things like that or heartache or you know sickness whatever it is it's like you can't call into the boss if you are the boss in, in in a way as women inherently we try and just keep all balls in the air juggling them and and then eventually we hit the ground yeah I think we we really it's a responsibility I think to talk about that human element talking about heartache and all of those things you do share so much of your personal life throughout the story and in such a raw and honest way talking about that early heartbreak and all the things that have happened in your relationships in the last however many years what was that like revisiting all of those memories again and then reproducing them on paper yeah it's a great question I kind of liken it to literary teleportation is what I've coined the phrase as because as a first-time writer I kind of dumped all the stories I thought might be relevant for this story and then obviously I work with editors because they're like no that has no bearing like we'll cut that entire story out like I actually submitted a manuscript of 148,000 words as my original (laughs) about 72,000 so to have that manuscript and over time working on it revisiting it was almost like going back to you know I'd go and sit with 21 year old me and I'd see her hands were bleeding and I'd actually be sitting in the room with her and I'd be like you know keep going like you can do this you know and sit with 30 year old me and I could see the imposter syndrome conversation she was in I was like please you know just give yourself a break in the clouds like keep going and I think to your question I think the hardest ones were definitely going back to that girl in the dark room in the fetal position she's in state of despair and it was just that was that was tough because me today all I wanted to do was open the blinds a little bit for her and and let a little bit of light in but obviously that was something that she had to go through at that time but in any opportunity to be able to revisit yourself it's it's quite a unique opportunity I liken it a bit to being on a a therapist couch and then going into a church confessional and then telling the world all of it (laughs) so it's part therapeutic part like traumatic but like at the end it was worth it (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, cathartic in the end. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's so interesting, isn't it? That concept of going back and it's like having those fictional conversations where people say, what would you say to 21-year-old you? And you're actually doing all of that work for yourself. And it's so hard for us when we're in the depths of, of heartache or grief. Right to see the light at the other side of the tunnel and if at all like I think in those moments you're just like this this is this is my lot in life I hope that the stories through this book if anyone is in a dark hole at the moment shows that while that you might not even see a crack of light right now that just sit it out it is it is on its way those messages are loud and clear. You know, oh, you went through the lowest lows so many times and you could have just completely given up. You could have just let yourself fall apart. But yeah. each time something happens and the universe puts something in front of you to just give you that little push to keep going. And I think it does all of us. It'll only let us sit idle for a certain amount of time. Then then something comes along to to push yourself that Carolyn Mass, who's a spiritual teacher that I, I follow, who I think is brilliant. She's no nonsense, but goes very deep on spiritual in- and intuition. And she's like, no one gets off a comfy couch. And I'm like, it's just so true. Isn't it? It's like, what's it going to take? So, yeah. And the theme of like listening to your intuition and seeing what the universe is putting in front of you is again, <laughs> so strong. And that's something that I believe in too, that idea of manifesting the things that you want and looking for those signs and so many times again okay it's probably neatly wrapped up because you've been able to look at all the times you manifested something and then it came true but for all of us that's possible to do so is that something that just in hindsight you've been able to recognize or was it at the time you were saying okay I'm gonna just add these international like locations to my brand and then the next day you're getting phone calls from I know I, I included that story and I was like I hope people don't take this as the speed of turnaround time but <laughs> yeah. that was a quick quick one in the book the story is that I put international countries I've never even visited um, on the front of our lookbook and then the, someone from that country called the next day to offer us a, a stockist over there And I don't believe in coincidence. I'm like, if something happens more than once, it's like, look out for a third time because something's trying to get your attention in a way. So sometimes that can happen instantly. Sometimes I think when we talk about synchronicity or the universal signs, we expect it to be like this giant unicorn, like soaring down from the heavens. You're like, (laughs) here's your sign. But I'm like, no, it comes in the most subtlest ways. Definitely, obviously writing this book, I was able to piece together, you know, a lot of them, like the one, for example, where I was fashion week and watching Rachel Zoe launch her collection on QVC, Mm -hmm. like that, when I was like, I would really like for us to be on, on QVC, that kind of came about in another seven years time so it's it's kind of like it's not on our timeline I do think trying to align the internal desire and whisperings with external happenings has been a a really good technique to kind of just feel like there's there's guidance and there's you know something far greater than yourself out there and I found that very very calming and sometimes we just have to trust that the good things are going to come our way. And it's like, if you keep focusing on the things you don't have and the things that aren't happening, that law of attraction means maybe it'll just take a little bit longer for you to get where you're going and just trust that the universe will deliver. Yeah, and I think it's it's not always what we want it to be. I think that's another thing to let go of. Like we have this idea and the word manifestation has 
been so overused in this day and age and we're kind of taught that it's like this pin board that you put all these cute little photos on and it's like I'm manifesting that and I'm like that's like elementary level I'm like manifestation is like hey get to the core of yourself and like what is it that you're truly on this earth to do when are you in flow state what is your you know output and I'm like when you tap into that that's when things start to manifest because that's the true you and you know I'm pointing to my my heart space at the moment because I'm like that's when what is meant for you in this world finds you so it's it's not actually about putting out what we want it's about going inwards and and really aligning there and then the stuff that opens up is just mind-blowing yeah absolutely and and getting to the feeling of what that success or what that place in your life is going to feel like not necessarily the detail of what it's going to be the best way to describe that is like I think when you're like oh this is you know my big dream I'm like there could be something so much greater than that out there so it's and I think for so much of my career I say that because I would have this like pinhole view of success I was like well that's the one thing that is like a pass and a fail it was very black and white and I'm like if you if you focus so minutely on this like one pinpoint of what you think it should look like you miss every single other opportunity that unfolds and presents itself along the way and I say that with my hand on my heart that I did that for such a long time and wish that I could have looked up and around a little bit more well hindsight right (laughs) next on the curious life podcast samantha wills talks about how it is to understand a condition you've only recently heard about who's talking about it and why aren't we all yana and samantha do go there just a moment What did your family think about you writing the book? Were they surprised by the detail of some of the stories? Yeah, I think so. I'm an early child, so it was, I got like four pre-release copies and I sent them one up, not thinking that they would fight like small children over who would <laughs> read it first. So I think dad was reading chapters in the day and then mum would get it at night time. So yeah, I think, look, I think it would be hard for any parent to read um, some of the depths because, you know, a lot of that stuff, you either don't talk to anyone about it or you talk kind of, you know, to your closest friends. It's probably not something you talk to your parents about. My dad said he only went through one box of tissues crying when he read it. (laughs) But yeah, but I, I, you know, I think it's everything that I wrote and this book was going to come out this time last year. So obviously when the world changed and they pushed it back because they wanted to tour the book. So what it allowed me to do then was put a lot of my health journey and things towards the end. So I was really comfortable with, with everything that that got published and the way that, that it was told. So yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You do talk in chronological order and where you came from and that professional journey and then you do talk about some of the health issues that have come up and even in your social media you're just so honest and giving of what you're going through which is so important because so many women go through exactly what you're going through and again like you say it's about giving a real perspective on a whole life it's not just look how fabulous my life is and isn't everything great. It's let's talk about the real things that affect so many women. Like the true guarantee is something you're thinking or feeling in a world of 7 billion plus people, there is millions of other people feeling exactly the same way you are. Like without, then no one is alone in, in that feeling. Exactly. Yeah. 
So what was it that sort of made you think about adding all of those parts into the story in terms of your health and sharing so much of the detail of that journey? So, you know, I share my, my journey with stage four endometriosis. And I think it was important for me because once I was diagnosed with it, obviously you start doing your own research and things. And I was just shocked of how one little I knew, well, I knew nothing about it. Um, I think I only learned the word probably, you know, three years, I'd heard the word, you know, two or three years prior. And then the amount of women that experience it, so one in 10, and I'm like, that's really common, but yet no one is really talking about it. And as it relates to your monthly cycle, we're raised to think, oh, you know, it's meant to hurt. Your period's meant to hurt. Oh, it's not meant to be a good time. There's all these stigmas around PMS and what that means in, you know, it's just like this complete blow up in the media, in society. And so it's something that we take on board and we're like, all right, well, I guess that's normal right? And when I was going through this searing pain and it was getting worse and worse and worse, in my mind, I just somewhat normalized it because I was like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not meant to be a fun time kind of thing. So I'm like, hang on a sec. When I actually got the diagnosis, I'm like, no, this is not normal. But I'm like, all of us in our generation, I'm like, we've been raised to, no one talks about that kind of stuff. So I was like, someone needs to start talking about it. So even some of my closest friends and my cousin the other day, she goes, oh, I just want to talk to you about the Marina IUD and, and this and the other. And I said, oh, have you been checked for endo? And she's like, I don't even you know really know that much about it. And then she told me her symptoms. I'm like, it, it's, I'm not a doctor, but it sounds like that. And she's like, oh, I just never thought. So I don't know. It's just this. It's so common, kind of liken it to if it was a male disease, I think we'd be having a national holiday, you know, once once a week, every month. So I'm like, hey, women's health needs to be normalized. The conversation around monthly cycles needs to be normalized and it's, it has to happen sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And there's still so much shame around it. I sometimes even still feel embarrassed in the supermarket aisle, like choosing my products, you know, it's ridiculous. Well, I think too, you remember like in high school and you'd have your pad or tampon and you're like, oh, I'm going to sneak it into my pocket. And I'm just like, it's just got this cloak of secrecy around it from the get-go. So yeah, yeah, it's time to, to shed that. And last month was Endometriosis Awareness Month. So I think the timing of this conversation is perfect. What would you say to young girls in terms of, you know, maybe your own experience and how long it took you to go and and get checked and figure it out would you have any advice for anyone else who might be going through similar symptoms the thing with endo is it often takes seven to ten years to detect I'm talking about this having studied it for god a year and a half so by no means am I an expert I think the scary thing is a lot of medical professionals aren't versed in it either because it hasn't been on a lot of curriculum in in depth so I would say that if you notice a change, especially in, in younger women, as the pill is something that actually masks it. So if you um, have the opportunity to go off the pill for a little bit and see how your body then starts communicating with you, that was how I discovered mine. When things change, I would be going and having a conversation with a healthcare professional, but also like going back to your own body. Like when I shared my endo story first on Instagram, my inbox, like without exaggeration, there was thousands of messages from women sharing their story the sad undertone was I went in to see a doctor and they told me it was bad period cramps or they told me to take more neurofern or this real dismissal mm. and I share that because it, it, a lot of people a lot of medical professionals aren't versed in it so if you do get that response and you still feel within your heart and soul that something is not right 
Also ask your female community. It's, I'm, you know, Dr. Wan was my surgeon. She's in, in Bondi. Sharing who our surgeon OBGYNs who are listening and, and have that nurture and, and empathy for other female experience. I think asking for referrals in that way is, is really powerful as well. Absolutely. That's such great advice. As you say, the conversations need to keep happening because obviously as women as well, there are so many conversations and pressures and expectations around fertility and all of those things. And as women as well, we're working on our careers and so many other parts of our lives long before we're thinking about having kids these days. If we're not having conversations about what's going on in our bodies, there are risks that we're going to take too Absolutely. long. And yeah. And completely to your point, it's like in life now, we have when travel was a thing and it will return to being, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we travel more places, we experience more in our career, we have multiple careers, online dating, there's all these options of like expanding the scope of it. But the one thing that hasn't changed is the women's biological clock. So it's like between a rock and a hard place in a way, because you, you're like, in one way, you're living your life this, and you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> but back to this. So I think, yeah, definitely normalizing the conversation and, and having options, I think is, you know, I, I shared recently that I decided to freeze my eggs because I'm, I'm unsure if I want to have children yet. So I'm all for women having options that, that are right for them. And however we can further normalize that conversation, the better. Absolutely. And I think that's a great move. And would you feel like sharing a little bit about what that journey has been like for you to go down that path? Oh, I think sure. for some women, it can be a bit of a scary idea to take that leap and go down that path. I'm not sure whose original framework it was, but it's like, all right, you've got to meet someone at this time, have babies by this time, get married, you know, do tick, 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 tick. And yeah. it's like, all right, well, but whose framework is that? Is like my framework's going to be different to your framework. And I think to what I said before, like going back to that internal of like, hang on, it's not your mom's framework. It's not society's framework. It's not the media's like you, like, what do you want from your life? And don't get me wrong. That's a life's work. I think to really sit in that and own it and strip back all the things that we have taken on board over, over our lifetime. For me, I was, I, I was like, all right, well, in, and that's what I share in the book when I was around 30, I was like, have I done something wrong here? Like, if I, I should be meeting someone, you know, my, my dad's like, when are you bring someone home at every wedding you're at, they're like, you'll be next. And it's this, mm-hmm. this projected of like, no one once asked me like, do you, is this what you want? I just kind of took it on as like, that's what I meant to do. So, mm-hmm. and obviously when you do that, you make compromised decisions, which I also <laughs> share quite honestly in the book. There's not one time in my life where I could have sat there and been like, I really, really, really want to have children right now. It's something in my heart and soul that I'm like, I think I do want to, but I can't put my, there's other things in my life where I'm like, without doubt, I unequivocally want to pursue X, Y, and Z. And now at 39, and obviously I, I have spent a lot of time on my career and was very, very dedicated to that. And it's like, all right, now at this age, decisions have to be made or something for a prolonged option. I think it was actually going in to see about egg freezing to that I got my diagnosis for endometriosis. So it's kind of like one thing, you know, leads you to the other. I wrote very, very candidly in my Instagram post around it where I was like, you know, I'm 39 now and I'm, I'm still unsure if I want to have children. I think I will want to, but I can't unequivocally say that now so I went down that path to freeze eggs it was it's about two weeks of hormone injections and then you pay to have the eggs frozen I think you can freeze them up till you're 50 I think it might be different uh, at different clinics Jenea was the clinic that I used here in Sydney yeah and it's it's 
it's it's a process but it, it wasn't as daunting as I thought it was going to be more daunting than it actually was so if anyone is thinking about it I would highly recommend talking to someone and just getting more information on if it's right for you because it's, it's really not as scary as as it sounds very reassuring to hear and it is completely unfair the timeline I'm 39 also and there are lots of things that come with this age and approaching our 40s and the expectations on women at this age and hopefully conversations like this and people like you blowing the lid off all of that sort of bullshit and and societal pressure and expectations will help people to be able to live their authentic life and not feel like they have to live according to someone else's prescription yeah and it's it is and I don't know why we need that permission slip and trust me I'm not sitting here being like you know high and mighty I I need that as well and it's it's a lot of work I'm doing on myself to try and break down that traditional framework but I look at my nieces that are three and five and they're like they've got the confidence they're like have no concern about outside expectations in a way I'm like good for you like the future is in good hands it's it's us that has a lot of unlearning to do I think absolutely and I think we're in a big period of change as a society at the moment the conversations around Mm -hmm. men and women and roles and respect and things like that are changing in many, many areas. And I think, as you say, I think the future is in good hands and maybe we're we're at the generation where we can make a bit of a difference, but it's the people underneath us that are going to come through with completely different expectations of what is okay, what's not okay and how to live. Absolutely. And and like I said, I I don't see it in our lifetime of of us shedding. And I don't know if you can shed it, right? Like I think, you know, I spoke at a event the other day. I was like, I point to this part of my head, like at the top of my neck, where I'm like, we just hold things here, even if they, we don't believe them. Like, like an example, and I love my dad to absolute bits, but I remember at a barbecue in the 80s, he's like, oh, no, well, that's that's a woman's job. I'll, you know, I'll do the barbecue because, you know, whatever you're talking about, that's a woman's job. And so I hear that and I, I hold it here, even though I don't mm. believe it, it's globs onto you, right? Yeah. So there is so much to undo, so much to let go and then redo. And um, that is an absolute life's work. Yeah, 100%. You're so right. I mean, even with me, you know, my partner does 99% of the cooking in our house. And everyone who hears that says, wow, isn't he wonderful? Isn't that amazing? Like, why? Why is it so amazing? Why should it be so amazing that it's a man? Totally. And you never hear it when a woman's like, oh, yeah, I do the cooking. They're like, cool. Like, that's what you Like, but you don't get a tip, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, there's a lot of change in conversation. And I think, you know, your story is a big part of that as well. So there's a lot for people to take away. Sitting on top of the world, a celebrated designer, everybody loves your jewellery. Samantha Wills just walked away. But why? You'll find out next on the Curious Life podcast. back to your professional journey you did decide to sell the business or to close the business close the business and it's because you didn't want to sell the brand that's right you had a huge offer on the table how do you actually make that 
choice because I know for a lot of people, probably if they're building something, they're building towards a crescendo and something huge being offered and that's like the peak and then they've made it. And how do you come to that decision? We didn't have an offer on the table. It was more once the whole process was done. I was like, if we had a sold, what would it have been worth? And at that point, my business partner was like, you probably would would have walked away with about $8 million. And I was like, huh, interesting. (laughs) But I say that with my hand on my heart that I have not once regretted my decision. I think firstly, as a creative person, it's creativity is my lifeblood. Like without it, I feel hollow and empty and it's in my DNA. So in around 2016, I started to notice that that flicker within me was kind of starting to dim. It wasn't a uncommon thought process at all. By that point, I designed, you know, 11,000 pieces of jewelry. So I was like, oh, it's just a creative block. Like it'll pass, it'll pass. Six months in, you know, another six months, 18 months in, and I'm like, okay, it's, it's, it's getting less and less. And what was happening was that my love for creating jewellery was coming to an end, but um, I think it was a really hard thing for me to accept because I think once you've named a brand ever so modestly after yourself, <laughs> that brand is, you know, in growth, it's going really well. We have a huge team of people. Like there's no logic to be like, all right, well, let's call it a day, shall we? Mm. So I talk about like the feeling filter being, you know, the, the heart space and, and kind of your gut intuition and then the thinking filter being the mind. And when I made the decision to close and, it, you know, I, I share this story very openly in the book about how long it took in the personal torment it took me to get to that, which is about a two year period. And when I actually finally that decision reached me, it was the calmest decision I've ever made and but I knew it affected you know so many more people than myself so I was like all right I'm going to sit with this for two weeks and ask myself how I felt about it so I woke up every morning pretending I'd already closed and was like all right how do you feel about you don't have a company anymore and I say feel purposely because if I had asked myself what I thought about it the thinking mind always has to logically explain something. And there was absolutely no logical explanation for it. So the other thing that I really return to is you can't fake a feeling. Like no matter how much you might want to, you cannot fake how you feel. For me, it was just very, very clear that it was time to close that chapter. I think by that point, I was designing jewelry with my hands and not my heart. And I think as a creative person, it felt fraudulent to me. And it was just, you know, it was a worse outcome for me to continue on like that because the brand had so much heart and soul in it. So I think if I had called it absolutely anything else other than Samantha Wills, I would have sold, but my heart was not made in a way to one hand over my name because I knew I had much more that I wanted to do under the Samantha Wills brand, just not jewellery. And the second thing was so much had gone into this brand over 15 years, I didn't have the heart to to see what someone else would do with it. So closing to me kind of honoured the legacy of what that was rather than selling it. Something like what you created is like your own baby. You literally bled for it from the Mm -hmm. very beginning, whether you knew that's what it was going to turn out to be or not. I can understand why you would make that decision and, and how hard that would be. But one of the other themes that emerged throughout the book was your resilience and your ability to just pivot that's the obviously the word of the of 2020 but you've been doing that all the way through from the first incarnations of the business making things on your kitchen table having those parties then deciding to okay well I'm starting to have a brand name how can I keep these parties going renaming that branch having like all these kind of different layers and constantly and then again with icon you know and working out how to do the same thing with icon and 
and constantly evolving and and shifting and growing and developing. Is that just part of your makeup to be resilient and you know is that that creative brain where does all of that come from I I like that it sounds exhausting I'm like no wonder I was tired <laughs> it's a lot I think it's a definitely a creative thing like I don't see that as a task to me that's the fun bit to, to reinvent and to you know I have quite a short attention span so I'm definitely much better on a project basis which I guess all those things you talk about no matter how long the project was they you know it's it's project based but I don't know I think it's it's something that as a creative you have to keep moving forward otherwise you lose your own attention in a way so that evolution has to happen and I think if you see brands that aren't evolving like they stay really stagnant and kind of fall behind. So I think partly it's a commercial know-how and then partly it's a personal impatience that I just, I like to keep moving. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's brave as well because if you're putting your heart and soul into your baby, whatever that is, it can be really difficult to reimagine it and to it's like with writing, they say you've got to kill your darlings. And sometimes, you know, you invest so much in a paragraph or a chapter and then an editor can say, well, actually, we're not going to use that. It's kind of the same idea, isn't it? I understand that we make it personal because it is so personal when we're building it. But I don't think anything in this world is personal. So I think once we can kind of in a way detach from that, like, and I talk about that in the book where I was acting as like a roadblock to my own business in the end because I was keeping it so personal to me rather than handing over responsibility or ownership of, of things. So sometimes we can be our own worst enemy in those cases and loosening the grip a little bit can have a great outcome. And one of the other things you do really well, and again, maybe it's through the magic of hindsight, but you seem to be able to take the leap. At first, you were holding on to your day job and working around the clock, Mm -hmm. making jewellery, and that was becoming more and more successful. And one of the interesting points that you talk about, and, and this is what a lot of entrepreneurs talk about, is that moment of knowing when to just leap. And let go of the security of whatever it is you might be doing to pay the rent and get through, but to just be able to believe in yourself enough to put everything into that. Right. It's very gracious the way that you say that. I think at the time, I think my hand was forced in different ways over time. So it got to the point when you're talking about where I went to Fashion Week or it's $17,000 worth of orders. Even in my mind, then I'm like, how am I going to work my full-time job and make all this jewellery in two weeks? Like it's almost like the universe forces you into like this like wedge to be like, you have to jump now. So I think it'll only allow us to sit on the fence idly for so long. The other thing that I like to think about in those situations is when we're at and this doesn't have to be a big life choice. It can be any any choice, but it's this crossroads of faith and fear. When I talk about destiny and fate, destiny to me is like what you put on this earth to do. And you're kind of being nudged always to, to do that, but it requires this leap of faith most of the time because you don't know what that next step is. So you might get to the to this crossroads. And as an example, you might be in a, a relationship that has done its time. You might be in a job that is uninspiring. And you're at this point where you're like, there has to be something something more and and whatever concept that is so the leap of faith is like all right well your soul is like there is something you don't know what it is yet but you know take this little step and and the next step will appear which is the scariest thing to do the other option is the step of fear which isn't really a step at all because that's when we go back into our mind space 
the mind's job is to keep us in a familiar situation. Doesn't mean it's going to be an inspiring one, doesn't mean it's going to be fulfilling, but it's familiar to us. So it's always like, all right, well, if you do that, you don't know what's going to happen. You might as well stay in the uninspiring job or the toxic relationship or the whatever it is, because you know it. And I don't say that like I can make that decision so easily. The leap of faith is the hardest decision you'll ever make. But what is meant for you then rises up to meet you. And I think to make that decision is about going inside and listening to that little whisper and it's calm and it's quiet. And then the opposite to that is, is the yelling and the chattering and the listing of all the reasons you should stay where you are. And that's the differentiation. Beautifully said. Beautiful. Listen to the whisper. Yeah. It's, yeah. it, it's calm and knowing and it's and you got to listen because it is really quiet. <laughs> it's so true. That bloody imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> it's got some lungs on it. <laughs> And so what's coming next for you? I mean, obviously the world feels like, to me, the world feels like it's your oyster at this point. What would you like to see the next chapter for Samantha Wells to look like? Well, the book, I look at its own entity now and I'm like, I'll follow her wherever she leads. I would love to see her adapted, be it, you know, into We've done an audio book, but like into an audio platform or into a television platform or something along, something off the page. I would love, love, love to see. And then I think, you know, it it continues on with storytelling. Samantha Wills Foundation now will have my full focus. Um, We're about to release a masterclass, which is releasing in June, which the book is kind of the story. Then the masterclass is more the tangible elements of the how to build branding. And then, yeah, doing a lot more workshops around more tangible elements because everyone knows what intuition is, right? I'm I'm like, but what are the tangible elements that we can actually implement on on how we can get closer to that? So kind of sharing what I know in that space. And but definitely it's all around telling telling stories, telling vulnerable stories. In terms of a jewellery perspective, are you just burned out and you don't want to just hit the tools at all? Or do you sometimes (laughs) get the urge and just whip something up for yourself whip something up for a Friday night (laughs) (laughs) I was actually at a conference gosh it would have been one of the first ones we did after we announced the the closure and it was a young entrepreneurs conference in regional area and this young girl stood up in the Q&A she said oh you know I'm I think she was like 17 she's like I've just started my own jewelry brand and she was like just like the inspiration in her entire being and she's like, do you regret making the decision to close? And I was like, surely don't. And I was like, oh, that was a bit quick and a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a kind of reach back. I mean, this was a few months after we'd announced. So look, I think at the end, I designed 12,000 pieces of jewellery. So I, I kind of feel like my quota is hit in producing jewellery. Definitely something I wouldn't say no to in a design collaboration sense. I, I still absolutely love to design. I think I no longer want to warehouse and manufacture and import and the logistics and that's what I say to a lot of creative entrepreneurs I'm like you have to find like what you want to achieve out of it if you want it to be a money-making commercial venture then creativity well yes it's a it's a component of it but you're a logistics company at the end of the day and when you're shipping product around the world and you're warehousing and you have this huge team like that's a logistics company and I put that into perspective by you know our creative team was myself a design assistant and then production management but then you know you had warehousing which was our biggest team we had accounting we had logistics and supply chain so it's a very different beast to what it looks like I think on the surface but to answer your question yeah I would I would love to design is in my my blood and DNA so I would love to design but yeah just not manufacture at this point and how brilliant that you've gotten to that point and you're clear about where you want to be and what parts of 
your industry you want to kind of keep hooked into? To understand what you don't want is just as powerful sometimes to understand as what you do want. It's a really clear one to me at this point. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's a really great point. So often when I'm talking with people, they'll say, they'll have things in mind that they want to do or they're not sure what they want to do and I say sometimes you've just got to take a job just do the job and learn what you don't want to do like it'll become very clear very quickly the things you don't want to do when you're doing them yeah definitely and you know sometimes a job we don't want to take opens up a whole new pathway in a way to to what we didn't know was on the other side so just yeah keeping that open mind but definitely yeah knowing what you don't want to do is just as powerful where can people find you when they want to if they want to connect and see what you're up to yeah so samanthawalls.com will be the house of all things um master classes and workshops so that's relaunching in the next few days actually so um got some exciting things happening on there my instagram is just samanthawalls which we're yeah we keep everyone up to date and the book is available at all major retail outlets and where all good books are sold amazing and I highly recommend it everyone take notes you'll just you'll get so much out of it (laughs) so Samantha I just want to thank you so much thank you for writing this incredible book and thank you for taking the time to talk with me today it's been such a pleasure oh my absolute pleasure and and thank you your questions are brilliant and I thank you so much for facilitating a platform like this so I think it's so incredibly important so my thanks to you oh thank you lovely I'll be keeping an eye on everything you you're doing and I'm sure you'll see me at one of your workshops. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs>for listening we would love it if you left us a rating for this episode and catch up with yana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on instagram and facebook at the curious life podcast 